Hello, Central fans. I'm Trevor Castle. For our first episode of the new year, we're going back to the 1980s to highlight the growth of Central's wrestling program as a national power, culminating in a runner-up finish at the 1985 NCAA Division III tournament. On our journey, you'll get to hear from head coach Ron Johnson and six members of that 85 squad, seniors Dale and Dwayne Lawrence, Ed Ergenbright and Scott Storjehan, junior Kevin Azinger, and sophomore Matt Deal. The Dutch wrestling program was started in 1973, and Norm Ryerson was the first head coach, totaling five seasons at the helm. After finishing below 500 in each of their first two years, Central was above 500 for the final three. Ryerson gave way to Ralph Manning, who coached for three winning seasons and finished in the top three of the Iowa Conference all three years. Then Manning left for South Dakota State, and Ron Johnson, or RJ, was tabbed to take over. In looking at the kids that were coming in new, as well as the folks that uh, were returning, I knew that we'd be very competitive. And it ended up that I was checking to see whether those students that the previous coach, Ralph Manning, uh, had recruited were going to indeed still come. So as soon as I got the job, I called all of those young men that were freshmen coming in and got a verification that they were. And so that was good. Manning had put together a stellar freshman class for Johnson's first season at Central. Ed Ergenbright found out about the coaching change and got a little prodding from his parents to see it through. I want to say it was about July. Um, before my freshman year at Central, I get a phone call about 9 o'clock at night, and this gentleman introduced himself as uh, Ron Johnson, and he was the new head wrestling coach at Central. Right away, I was just taken back. I didn't even know Ralph was leaving. You know, that, that was the first time that I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I should go to BV or maybe I should go, you know, to a couple other Division three schools that were recruiting me, you know, and talked it over with my parents. And, you know, they're, you know, hey, Central's not very far away. You know, give this guy a chance. You know, it might work out. Twins Dwayne and Dale Lawrence made up their mind after a barnstorming tour through Central Iowa. Our mom one day said, hey, let's go look at some colleges, get in the car. And we went to Oskaloosa, looked at William Penn, Pella, and Simpson, and then drove home. So that was kind of a, it was a little different experience um, in, at that point in time, right? So we're talking quite some time ago. You know, my son traveled all over the country looking at colleges. We were driving back towards home, southeast Iowa, and we stopped for lunch. And um, I went to the bathroom, and mom goes to Dwayne, what do you think? He goes, I really like Central. And then I came back and he went to the bathroom. She goes, what do you think so far? I go, I really like Central. And they came to Central with plans to play both football and wrestle, but gave up football after their sophomore year to focus on the mat. Scott Storyahan came to play football for legendary coach Ron Skipper and could be classified as RJ's first recruit. Football was my first love, but again, wrestling, I didn't really have any design to do it in college, but Ron Johnson cornered me in the hallway uh, during football my freshman year and really asked me to go out. And my college roommate, my freshman year, Greg Stoll, uh, played football and he was a heck of a heavyweight wrestler, uh, was going out and you know, I didn't have anything else to do in the, in the winter. So I thought, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Storjahan says that it wasn't a well-decorated freshman class with championship pedigree, but he could see there was tons of potential. 
except for Greg Stoll. Greg Stoll was a two-time Michigan State champ. But, but the rest of us, you know, we went to state here in the state of Iowa. And, you know, that in and of itself is, you know, quite an accomplishment. But, you know, we didn't have state championships behind us. We didn't have, you know, national place winnings, you know, as freestyle and things like that. But what came out of it pretty quickly is we were we were a scrappy bunch that just wanted to work hard. And at that time, you know, RJ and then Mark Ruggerberg, our assistant, uh, those guys kind of set the tone for us. And the upperclassmen, you know, there wasn't hazing. They accepted us. Uh, so we felt part of the team, you know, right from the beginning. Bergen Bright says there definitely was a transition period from Manning and Manning's guys to RJ and the newcomers. You know, Ralph's guys were still in the room, and it's no different than any other coaching change. You know, you have the guys that uh, were coached underneath one guy, and he leaves, and then the new guy comes in, and that can be an issue. There, were, there was some tension um, with some guys in the room, and I think some of the older guys realized, hey, th- this freshman class is pretty good. Everybody had a, an older guy in their weight class, and a, a lot of the freshmen – you know, or sophomores beat those guys out. And and so that, I think, probably created more of that than any. But it wasn't it wasn't ever toxic. It was just kind of there. You know, we started having success, you know, and RJ continued, you know, on to our sophomore year. There was another really good freshman class come came in. Um, you can see that at tournaments we were we were doing better. Um, we were winning a lot of duels those two years but it was mostly with the new guys um not all not all of them there was always a a few of the older guys in the lineup but it it was definitely starting to turn during 82 83 83 84 in there um and bd had kind of dominated during that time you know so we we kind of put a target on them to you know get our program the great al baxter uh hall of fame high school and college coach was at BV and they became a huge, huge rival. And so it it really motivated us to get our program on that level. The Dutch went 7-3-2 and in 1981-82, RJ's first season, losing 39-7 to BV and finishing second in the conference tournament to the Beavers. They went 8-2 and in 82-83, losing just 21-19 to the Beavers and also losing 22-19 to Wartburg, finishing third at the league tourney. But they were building something, and RJ was working hard to get them to believe. If a group of folks believed in themselves as a group, not just in themselves as an individual, that they will wrestle harder, work harder, and be more successful. And I tried to instill in the kids the fact that if they chose to work hard and chose to try to make everyone on the team successful, not just themselves, that they would indeed be special. And it proved to be certainly the case. There's no question when I looked in the eyes of Dwayne and Dale Lawrence and Storia Hahn and Eddie Ergenbright and Matt Deal and Kevin Azinger and others that they knew what it meant to sacrifice. They knew what it meant to work hard and they knew what it meant to be work together kind of as a family. And that first couple of years, there was no question that I saw great things for them as they grew just a little bit more mature and a little bit older. Dale Lawrence bought into RJ's philosophy quickly. There is a real psychological component to the sport too. And that is 
it's almost impossible to win unless you unless you believe you can. Um, and I can give you a, a million examples of that, but um, I'll give you a good one. There's a guy from William Penn, Bob Garlow. I mean, I wrestled him all four years. We wrestled three times a year, typically. <laughs> so I probably wrestled him a dozen times. Um, his sister went to Central College, was a couple years younger. She told me once, she goes, my brother absolutely hates wrestling you. I was like, oh, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. I'm so glad that he hates wrestling me. <laughs> you know, that just makes it easier, <laughs> right? Good. But that's the psychological part of the sport. And there was one thing Dale hated more than anything. I wasn't that good of an athlete. I just hated to lose more than everybody else did. So I was willing to do what it took to not lose because I just hated it so bad. And part of that's maybe part of being a twin where you have somebody you're competing against your whole life. Ergenbright, who roomed with the Lawrence twins, saw their desire to win up close and personal. The thing that I learned about them right away is that their intensity level was through the roof, which really rubbed off on everybody, but it really rubbed off on me. And they, very intelligent guys, two of the hardest working individuals you would ever run across. I mean, if there was some way that they could get better, they were going to do it. They were uh, very intense, and uh, they they liked to scrap with anybody on and off the mat. You know, they were really good guys, but I, there's a few stories that, you know, people know about that happened at the local establishment or, you know, just wherever. But they went out, they never went out looking for trouble it just always seemed to find us but um they would scrap each other as hard as they would their arch enemy you know and i i, I will share one story with you one night they had gone to hardy's to get some food and uh got back to the room and kevin and i are sitting in the room and we hear this ruckus and i open the door and they're just going at it and uh they kind of stopped and looked at me and said, you know, if you want a piece of this, get in here. If you don't get out. And so I knew <laughs> I knew better than to get involved. We tried to break it up, but it just, you know, it had to burn its course. <laughs> and it ended up being over. One of them went to the bathroom and the other one took a bite of the other one's sandwich. And when he got back, you know, that's what caused it. The Kevin that Ergen Bright referenced was Azinger, who was a year younger and joined them as a roommate. One of the Lawrences told me that they weren't the only ones who liked to scrap, as there was a story of Azinger and a headlock in a closet that didn't go so well. So I asked Kevin about that. They uh, witnessed me flying in. It wasn't uh, plywood. It was weaker than plywood. And my head went right through the uh, closet door in uh, Skolty Hall. That's, that's a true story. These guys had lots of stories to tell. I have more than three and a half hours worth of stories from my seven interviews for this episode. Stories like almost getting arrested after running out of gas near Iowa City because a police officer thought they were mischievous Iowa students who had stolen the team van. Stories like backing a van into the car behind them and knocking off a license plate. But mostly stories about hard work and the desire to succeed. Here's Matt Deal, who would transfer to Central as a sophomore for that magical 84-85 season. They were all like just guys that wanted to work hard and uh, train hard. And especially the Lawrence twins. I mean, those guys were uh, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I thought they were, I mean, they were just phenomenal as far as how often they worked out and just what they expected from the team. I mean, they expected that we were not messing around. We're, we're staying focused. 
Storyahan also made sure to point out the Lawrence brothers specifically. I do have to give credit to Dwayne and Dale Lawrence. I mean, I saw those guys every day. The three of us were wrestling each other. And what better way to prepare than, you know, going against a couple All-Americans day in and day out. I, I told people from my senior year on, my hardest matches were daily in that wrestling room. I mean, we would we would go at each other in a good way, and we would walk out of there just dead. Dwayne was probably 185 most of the time in practices, and Dale wasn't much over 190. So if I didn't move quickly with those guys, I was going to get buried. So that's where I learned. Like I said, I, I give almost all of my credit to my success in wrestling back to Dale and Dwayne. Um, they, they pushed me, I pushed them, and it worked out well for all of us. Part of that hard work was just to make weight. Cutting weight was a lot more prevalent in those days, and rules have been changed in more recent years in the name of safety. Dwayne Lawrence says that it took a relentless effort to make sure he could wrestle at 177. I'm always a little reticent to talk about it because it's one of those things where if you haven't been involved in it, it's really hard to understand, and I really liken it almost to the military and or mental illness, like an eating disorder in some way, because you're so driven to accomplish the goal, right? You're willing to sacrifice no matter what it takes to get there. And it was for me a very solitary event. I mean, I would go my senior year, obviously each year you're cutting a little more weight because you're continuing to grow and get a little bigger and stronger. I would go down to the gym around eight o'clock and I would jump rope pretty much for three and a half hours. Deal was another one who was cutting weight. Your goal is always to be bigger, faster, stronger than your opponents. And I know that I cut probably about 25 pounds to get down to 118. I had to because uh, Cervantes was at 126 and Morgan Bright, who probably cut from, you know, in, in the 50s or 60s down to 134. And, and those guys were all bigger, stronger than I was. And, and I was a little guy and, you know, not very tall. And so uh, that was the weight class that I wrestled at. In high school, I wrestled 98 pounds and 105. And so it, it just naturally worked out. It never was really super fun because you had to, to get down to that weight. But once you made weight, you know, you got uh, fluids back in you. And then um, our mentality was we work hard. We're going to show people that Central College was a tough team. Azinger says that everyone was willing to sacrifice and put in the hard work because they all bought into RJ's goal of making Central College the best private school wrestling program in the country. Because at that time, the uh, state schools were dominating Division Three. So two private schools won the first two Division Three championships, Wilkes and John Carroll. And for the next nine years, it's all state schools, Brockport State. College of New Jersey, which was at Trenton State then, Buffalo. So they were all publics, and they were winning by large margins. And RJ's goal, smartly, in my opinion, because till you break through that barrier, you don't know, is he wanted to develop the best private Division three school in the country. And obviously in 85, we got that done. After having solid seasons in 81-82 and 82-83, the Dutch took a big leap in 1983-84. Dale Lawrence didn't see it so much as a next step, but just a continuous journey towards their ultimate goal. We always think of it as steps, right? I want to, you want to move up a level. It was maybe more linear than it was stepwise. Does that make sense? In other words, the, the progression was not from necessarily just from one year to the next. 
yeah, you're a year older, you have more experience, you've got another year of training under your belt. It was just a, not a step up, but a step along is maybe the way I would say it, right? It's another step down the path. So each year you kind of figure out, hey, I'm not where I want to be. What do, what do I need to change to get better? My point is that's not a, from a one year to a next thing. It's from one day to the next day. Azinger says that part of what helped the Dutch take that next step was a solid freshman class that RJ brought in for the fall of 83 that pushed them hard in practice. And he brought in some hammers. <laughs> it's a good thing that the twins, Ed and Storge and I, had some college wrestling on their belt because these boys he brought in ended up being very, very successful. The Dutch got maybe their biggest dual win in program history at that time on January 19th of 1984, finally knocking off Buena Vista 36-8. Just two days later, they went to Mount Vernon for a tournament that Azinger says opened everyone's eyes. Until you break through some barriers, you can want all you want, but but you got to prove it. And we finally proved it at the Cornell Invitational. And at that time, very a quality, quality um, tournament. That season, eight of the top 20 kids in the country, were our teams, were at the Cornell Invitational. And we won it handily. And so that part, to me, was one of those aha moments. Like, we think we're good. We're good. Central avenged its loss to Wartburg from the previous season less than a week later, eventually sweeping through the conference duels. On February 16th, they won the Iowa Conference for the first time in program history. And RJ says that was a big deal. We were setting our sights on that conference championship, and I was working with them, the wrestlers, to set their sights on All-American status, not just All-Conference or not just winning first or second in the conference, but becoming an All-American, the top eight in the, in the national tournament. And that indeed was the next stepping stone. They believed in it, and that was wonderful. One of the things that I found very, very interesting in working with collegiate kids, unlike the high school kids, it was very much kind of a psychological warfare as well in the fact that the difference between first and second, the difference even between wrestlers that are champions and those that are third or fourth often is very, very minute. And often they had similar physical attributes, but between their ears makes a huge difference, both believing in themselves and believing in the rest of the team. And psychologically, I think we made some strong strides just as we did technique-wise and physique-wise. Central had sent at least three wrestlers and as many as seven to the NCAA tournament in each of the previous seven seasons, but only had one All-American out of the whole bunch, Stacy Bandy, in 1981. In 84, the Dutch had four All-Americans, Bryant Hancock at 118, Murray Anderson at 126, Kelly McGovern at 158, and Dale Lawrence at 190, all finishing seventh in the country. Dwayne Lawrence and Ergenbright were also at that national meet for their second time. While Hancock graduated and Anderson left school, the other four qualifiers and a veteran lineup were coming back in the fall of 1984 with their sights set on something big. Matt Deal took over Hancock's slot at 118 and Craig Cervantes slid into the starting lineup at 126. Another new addition was in the coaching staff as Greg Lonning was added as an assistant. Both Ergenbright and Azinger gushed about what he brought to the program. 
I knew of him. We were at all these meets together. He and I were always seemed like the last two to weigh in because we both were cutting a lot of weight. He was 118 pounder and I was 134 pounder, but I always really admired this guy and the way he carried himself and the way that he went about it. And he, he, he was a really good, really good wrestler, obviously. And he won the national title at 118 in 83. So we hired him, our RJ hired him, you know, all of us knew who he was. There was just this vibe around him, you know? And, uh, when he came, it really started to make a difference in not only, you know, it wasn't that he shown anything technique wise that we didn't already know, but it was more a mentality. I mean, the epitome of what hard work can accomplish for you, just witnessing what he was doing as a coach. And you're like, my coach is working harder than I'm working. Something is wrong here. I either better elevate my level or decide maybe this isn't for me. And just to watch Greg do what he did. And it would never ask anybody to do anything he wasn't willing to do. And he showed you he was willing to do it. I mean, he was there bright and early. If you need to get a morning workout in, he'd stay late. He'd work with you individually. Lonning, RJ, and their experienced Dutch squad dominated during that 1984-85 regular season, going 9-0 and in dual meets and winning all five regular season tournaments they competed in. We ended up being real successful at tournaments such as Cornell, where they had really strong teams, both from the Iowa Conference and from the Mid Midwest Conference, and we ended up winning that. Really, really fun. And there is a, one of the things that uh, stands out to me is our winning first uh, out of 19 teams in the St. Cloud State Minnesota Invitational. As, uh, the rest of the, probably the other 18 teams didn't know much about Central Wrestling down from Iowa. And uh, we ended up winning handily. It was really fun because I, of course, had grown up in Minnesota and uh, was fun to put the Central College from Pella, Iowa on the map as well. Dwayne Lawrence remembers that tournament at St. Cloud State as a particular feather in the cap as the Dutch won one for their head coach. He thinks he's part of the clan up there, right? Like, oh, all these guys know me. And he went to the seating meeting, you know, where they rank you in the bracket. He comes back to the hotel, and he was so mad, it was almost the first time I heard him cuss. Like, he could hardly contain himself. Every time he said, oh, yeah, my kids should be first or second or third, they, they're like, no, he had wrestling, but and like, they really, like, really kind of screwed him over in the seating meeting. He came back, and we had a team meeting. That's how mad he was. And, and he went through the scenes and said, this is ridiculous. We need to go kick. You know, he almost said ass. He was so mad, right? I mean, he was rock star mad. And uh, we rolled in there the next day and had a pretty good tournament. We had five guys out of the 10-way classes in the finals. I beat a Division II All-American in, in the finals. Dale beat a Division II All-American from St. Cloud State in the finals. My kid was from Mankato State. Kevin Azinger was a junior, was our 150-pounder. He inside tripped the kid and pinned him in 16 seconds in the finals. I mean, we ripped through that tournament. And that's when we started. So, you know, the, the movie um, Ghostbusters. And in Ghostbusters, they go, we came, we saw. When they, when they kill the first ghost, you know, they go, we came, we saw, we kicked his ass. So that's when we started. We started that little kind of chat. Now, we didn't say ass because, you know, we're at Central College. We don't do that. We came, we saw, we kicked you. 
The Dutch kicked everyone that year, even without their best heavyweight for the first half of the season. Scott Storjahan didn't join the squad until midseason because he was busy as a lineman on Central's NCAA runner-up football team. My very first dual meet right out of the gate was Buena Vista. And we went up there and we wrestled them tight. I wrestled um, a returning All-American, lost one to nothing, and I was not in wrestling shape. And, And for me, that was kind of when it clicked for me that, hey, this could be a special season for us. It was a special season indeed. After the undefeated regular season, the Dutch went to Storm Lake and repeated as Iowa Conference champions and qualified six wrestlers for the NCAA championships. All seven of the guys I interviewed for this piece used the same word to describe that tournament in Rock Island, Illinois. Bittersweet. Sweet because the Dutch finished second as a team. Sweet because they achieved RJ's goal of becoming the best private school in the country. They lost to Trenton State, now the College of New Jersey, a public school. Sweet because they had four more All-Americans, all who finished in the top five. Sweet because they put two wrestlers into the finals, the first and second in program history. Bitter because they thought they should have won it. Trenton State ended up with 67 points to Central's 59.5. There were numerous ways the Dutch might have made up those 7.5 points. The first what-if was by getting even more wrestlers to Nationals for a chance to score. Kelly McGovern, who was an All-American in 84 and would go on to do it again in 86, didn't qualify in 85, and neither did Matt Deal in his first year with the Dutch, although he'd go on to make it each of the next two years. I choked. I choked at the conference tournament, so I had pretty much beaten everybody in the conference and probably was uh, seated one or two, and then I got upset in the semis uh, in overtime and then came back and and, uh, lost again, and so I didn't even qualify for nationals that year. Really wanted to to be part of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think about that. I still think about that today. I mean, this is like 30-some years later, and it's like, dang. But, you know, that's, I think, what makes you better. But also, you know, if you look at life, that's just the way life is. Sometimes things happen and sometimes they don't, and, and you just have to try to learn from it. Another what if is the wrestlers who did qualify but didn't score. Azinger was one, and Cervantes was the other, as Dale Lawrence remembers. One that kind of stung me for a while, and this is part of that bittersweet, is, you know, Craig Cervantes, our 126-pounder, he's a number five seed. He went 0-2 and and was out, right? So, you know, those points would have helped us. And RJ would take the blame. In fact, I've heard RJ say it. You know, RJ's like, that's my fault. I didn't. I didn't help him get ready to wrestle. And it was his first national wrestling tournament. And the first time you're there, it is intimidating. Him placing fifth, would that have given us a chance to win it? Yeah. But again, there was a lot of, so bittersweet because there were so many ways we could have won that tournament. The biggest what if of them all was Dwayne Lawrence's quarterfinal loss. He was a four-time NCAA qualifier and had his sights set on a national championship. With a one-point lead late in the quarters, Lawrence appeared to have a victory locked up. But he was taken down at the last second, or as everyone I talked to says, after the last second had ticked off the clock. It was really my own fault. This kid, uh, Joven was his last name. He was from Buffalo. He was a karate guy, so he, he did a lot of trip. I mean, he tripping was kind of his thing, and he'd do this single, and he'd sweep the leg kind of thing. Now, here's how I know that it wasn't two points because I was watching the clock, which I probably shouldn't have been doing. 
Um, so it wasn't <laughs> my fault. But it was, the match was almost over. He had a single. I looked up at the clock. I saw it go double zero. And then, I, and then I, you know, and then I hit the mat. Ed Ergenbright had already won his quarterfinal match and was watching Dwayne's match from the track above the wrestling mats at Augustana. The head of the NCAA Rules Committee was actually the former Wartburg head coach, and he was sitting on the side of the, the mat, and he had watched the whole match. And R.J. went over to him and said, Dick, this isn't right. And he said, R.J., unless that referee goes to the table and asks for help, I can't overrule anything. He's got to go ask. And the referee was a guy... <laughs> ironically, whose daughter went to Central College. True story. And he refused to go to the table and ask. And we had said during the season, he'd been at a lot of our tournaments, refing. We had said during the season, you ever notice how anytime there's anything close, it doesn't go our way? That fact was not lost on Lawrence either. I think he was trying so hard not to be partial, right? Because he knew me. I mean, we would talk to the referees, hey, how you doing? You saw the same people almost every weekend, right? You get to know them a little bit. And I think he was trying so hard not to be partial that he went a little too far the other way. You know, those things happen. If it happened now, we would, we would have reviewed the tape and they would have overturned it. I would have been in the semifinals. I would have beat a guy that I'd beaten earlier that year and then I'd beat the next day in the wrestlebacks. So I would have been in the finals and... Um, you know, who knows what would have happened there. As it was, Lawrence went on to finish fifth at 177 pounds, finishing his career with his first All-American performance. But it wasn't good enough for him because he didn't win the championship he was working for. It's crushing because the dream is dead, right? And it's not just that year. It's something you've worked for for four years. You know, I mean, when we rolled in as freshmen, we had a pretty talented group. And you start that mentality of, I need to get better, I need to get better, I need to get better. And the amount of work you put into that effort then makes the dream more valuable. There's no doubt in my mind I should have placed third. You know, but I got beat and to wrestle an hour later, and I was devastated. I just wasn't ready to wrestle again. You know, and gave up five points the first period, and I think that, I think I lost the match by one or two. And not that fifth is bad, but it was underperforming for sure from my perspective. And you know, you get a bad call and you finish third, you're like, oh, okay, I finished third, you know, got screwed in quarters. But, um, you know, fifth is really kind of not acceptable. Ergenbright was crushed as well, watching that happen to his teammate, his roommate, and his friend. I was more torn up for Dwayne than I was for our team. Because, you know, I worked out every morning, we'd get up and go swim. In the morning, go to wrestling practice. We lived and died this weight cutting thing together. And to see his dream of being a national champion get taken away, um, man, it's that to this day, I don't, it, it bothers me a lot. Those points, the difference between Lawrence finishing fifth or potentially making a run to the finals could have made a big difference in the team standings. While Dwayne didn't make it to the semis, Dale Lawrence, Scott Storyahan, and Ergenbright did, although Ergenbright almost didn't. In college, unlike high school, you have to make scratch at nationals. All season long, as months went by, you would get this extra pound, you know, like a conference. I could weigh 137, but all of a sudden at the NCAA meet, I got to weigh 134. And for somebody that only had 4 or 5% body fat and was cutting a lot of weight, to drop those extra three pounds was, was a big deal. And I was the last guy to weigh in. Uh, in fact, they told me that it's, the scale didn't go to 
zero, I was out of the tournament. And uh, it was Greg Lonning that helped me get down. Uh, I'll never forget getting on that scale and that guy saying that. And I had just been on it five minutes before that. It said like 134.2 and I didn't have anything else to lose. And so Greg said, stand on your head. And I'm like, what? He said, stand on your head for a minute. And the honest God, this is a true story. So I stood on my head against the wall and I wiped completely down. So there was no moisture on my body. I was ready to cut my hair. I mean, I, I, I was going to do whatever it took, but when he, he said, listen, you get, you got away and the time is up. And I got on the scale and it clicked 134.0 and he goes, get off. And I got off. Ergen Bright was the first of Central's trio to take the mat in the semifinals, and he came up just short, another what-if in the team title race. The biggest regret I have in my entire athletic career is I had a guy from Bart Morrow's conference who was also in the tournament say to me before the match, he asked me who I had, and I told him, and he said, watch his duck under. He can duck anybody. And so... For the first time in like 30-some matches, I, I went out there instead of intent on doing what I do and just, you know, doing me, I, I was worried about not getting taken down with this duck under, right? And so at the end of the first period, he had taken me down four times, and I was down like 8-4. Uh, needless to say, RJ and Greg were not happy, and I, I just through caution to the wind at that point, you know, I remember RJ pointing at me and saying, you got to go. You know, I, I had not hardly even shot. And so the second period, I, I was always fairly good on top and could cradle. And, uh, I, I got, I got him turned and closed the match up. Um, I have tried to block out everything else that's, that happened in that match, but I think it ended up 13, 11, but I, the, the entire third period, he, he, he got on his feet and ran and, um, blocked me and blocked me and blocked me. And just remember going out of bounds with about nine seconds left and, and thinking, man, you, you have got, to, you've got to take him down. And he was just really, really good. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't get it done. So I, I lost in the, uh, in the semifinals and um, that match could have been the difference, you know, as national champions. Ergen Bright finished third, also capping his career with his first All-American performance. Dale Lawrence was next and he won his semifinal, then watched Storjahan win what Lawrence says was Central's biggest victory of the tournament. Scott Storjahan's mom wouldn't have picked him to win against Sal D'Angelo. There's nobody in that building that thought he would beat Sal D'Angelo except Scott Storjahan. That was a fabulous effort on Scott's part. The guy just wrestled way, way above his, his physical ability. Why? Because he believed he could win. That's impressive. With that win, Central had a half-point lead over Trenton State heading into the championship round, and each team had two finalists. Storjahan was excited to have a chance for he and Lawrence to bring home a title for the team. I was having fun wrestling, and I was probably peaking at the right time. But but for me, and this is maybe some of the, the football side of it too, the, the team aspect is what – what really appealed to me and was exciting because that's something we could all share in. I know Trenton, you know, they had two guys in the finals. 
and they had a shot at us. But if Dale and I, you know, took care of business, you know, it was automatic. We were going to win it. And unfortunately, they won both of their matches and Dale and I both lost in overtime, as a matter of fact. So, I mean, yeah, that was bittersweet at the end. Lawrence's loss was on criteria after a 13-13 tie and Storyahan's loss was by one point. Again, both in overtime. They were both All-Americans, with Lawrence becoming the first two-time All-American in program history. RJ couldn't have been prouder of what they accomplished. They did a great job, but just came up a little short. So by the skin of our teeth, we ended up not winning point-wise. But I knew that they wrestled as hard as they possibly could. They gave everything they possibly could, mentally and physically. And uh, it was disappointing to get second, but... Wonderful to get second, if you know what I mean. We all knew that we had the opportunity to be national champions. There's no question about that. And you can't help but second guess or do some what ifs. But I also know that they realize that they did the very best they possibly could. And some things that maybe were beyond our control took place. And that made it that um, we ended up second place. I wish we were national champions, of course, and I know different ways that things could have gone differently. But at the same time, you look at these guys and what they accomplished and what it meant to the Central College community. You have to be thankful as well. The second place finish was, and still is, the best team finish in Central Wrestling history. Storyahan, who was also on the runner-up football team just a few months before, says it was a big deal for the school. It was special. That was kind of a breakthrough, well, number one for the wrestling team, but also for Central, too. You know, we had success, especially on the women's side of the athletics, but on the men's side, you know, we had a national championship in football. We had some All-Americans here and there in different sports, but, you know, we hadn't really broken past you know, football. I mean, that was that was it. So that was a special memory. And it was really nice coming back on campus and getting the welcome that we did, you know, not only from our friends, but just the students in, in the whole. While the Dutch haven't yet been able to match that magical run in 1985, it was a springboard to a decade of national prominence. From 1985 to 1993, Central finished in the top 11 in eight of the nine seasons, with multiple All-Americans in each of the eight and four individual national championships. Probably good material for a future Dutch Memories episode. And if so, you'll almost certainly hear from Kevin Azinger again. He became Central's head coach in 1989 and led the Dutch for eight seasons. He says that there were a few special wrestling supporters that he remembers fondly from his days as both a wrestler and a coach. We had spoken a little bit about Dr. Weller. One of a kind. Don't know if there will ever be another one like him. Didn't have to come out and tell you that he honestly believed that all extracurriculars were important. But he did have a soft spot for wrestling. He attended as many or more national championships than anybody I know. Uh, the only ones that maybe even come close were Max and Judy Vanderpool, who used to run cleats and spikes. I would go work for them, and I wasn't a very good worker, but wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. They had no wrestling background. They got daughters. They have no idea what wrestling is. I start working for them, and, and I tell Judy one night, Judy, I'm going to work for you, but you got to come watch us wrestle one time. She came, and she never quit coming. They would go to every home meet, sometimes away dual meets, They'd always go to the conference tournament, and if the NCAAs were anywhere in the Midwest, not on the East Coast, they were there. They were some of our greatest supporters. Bob Allen was the other one, city manager. 
That probably happens other places, but it happened to me here, so that's why it's important to me here. Matt Deal also later became head coach at Central, taking over for Azinger in 1997 and piloting the Dutch for seven seasons. He still works at Central and is currently a volunteer assistant. I'm still having fun. I still love it. I still hope that I'm making a difference and helping guys grow in the wrestling room or not in the wrestling room. And so those experiences, though, help me because I can kind of, you know, use that as my foundation to say, okay, you know, I, I get it. It's, it's a long time ago, but the mentality of it is still there. And to to prove to not only central wrestling, but even to other sports, you can you can be a great team and you can be great individuals collectively as a team and shoot for the national championship. To love the sport and to just participate, that's great. But you can be more than that. And I think we proved that. This group has also proven that the bonds formed on the wrestling mat don't have to break just because life starts pulling you in different directions. Azinger says that they're all close friends to this day. We're absolutely as close today as, as we were back then. We do things together. We just went up to uh, Ames to watch uh, Iowa State wrestle uh, Arizona State. And we probably had half a dozen to 10 former central wrestlers just to watch them meet. Normally we go, we, we all meet at the regional, which is traditionally in uh, Dubuque at the Five Flags, or we go to the NCAA tournament. Like last year it was in Cedar Rapids. And so we'll get 15, 20, 25, 30 guys come together of all different eras. And that's, that's just what we do. So these are my lifelong friends. And when they're together, all the stories of the good old days are bandied about. All the what ifs of a near national championship are rehashed. And as Dale Lawrence says, they're all rooting for the guys wearing red and white. I still follow the Central Wrestling team. I think Eric's doing a great job there. My hope is that wrestlers can look at that and go, you know what? We can achieve a lot at this school. I dream for that program to have multiple All-Americans every year, right? And I hope they, they can look at what we did and say, we can do that again. My thanks to Coach Ron Johnson, Dale and Dwayne Lawrence, Ed Ergenbright, Scott Storyahan, Kevin Azinger, and Matt Deal from the 1985 NCAA runner-up Central College Wrestling Team. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Dutch Memories Podcast. We'll have a new episode every month or two featuring a player, coach, game, team, or moment in Central College's storied athletic history. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, or Spotify so you never miss an episode, or just check the podcast section at KNIAKRLS.com. Dutch Memories is a KNIAKRLS production. I'm Trevor Castle, and go Dutch!